Hello all, and welcome back to From the Front Row, brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. If this is your first time listening to us, welcome. We are a student-run podcast that focuses on major issues across the field of public health. My name is Steve Sanye, and today I am joined by Rob Sand, the Iowa Auditor of State. Rob received his BA from Brown University and his JD from the University of Iowa College of Law. He was an Assistant Attorney General in the Iowa Attorney General's Office from 2010 to 2017. Rob, pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Steve. Uh, happy to be here, and, and also I, I have to tell everybody uh, and, and say to you, thanks again for uh, joining us up in Cedar Rapids last weekend and helping folks uh, dig out from under that very jump. So if you can start us from the top, kind of talking about your role as the state auditor and what you do for the people of Iowa. Sure. Easiest way to describe this role is watchdog. We investigate what's going on. We issue reports. What happens with those reports is up to other individuals or entities that are in charge of enforcement. Um, but what we do is essentially we conduct um, audits and investigations. The audits include financial transactions, but also legal compliance, and they also include efficiency. The investigations uh, are oriented generally towards public corruption, um, malfeasance, waste, fraud, and abuse, that sort of stuff. So essentially, uh, all, the, all the money that is getting spent at the state level um, is under our purview. Local funds are under our purview in certain circumstances. And in addition to that, entities that are private but receive public money can also be audited under certain circumstances by our arm. And within that pretty big scope of practice, it sounds like, what are some of the most prominent challenges and, and successes that come to your mind when you're taking on this position and with your team as well? One of our big challenges is just um, workload, honestly. Uh, we've got a, about 100 employees in the office uh, that goes up and down. A little bit but everyone is busy we have a ton of work that we've got to do and limited resources to do it with so we're always trying to assess you know where where best to put our time where best to put our energies that is a constant challenge and it it, it doesn't change I think one of our big successes uh, and you know we could point to some specific audits since I've taken office in the last year and a half we've issued I think the third largest dollar amount special investigation that the office has done in about the last 20 years. We obviously had um, a fairly consequential audit regarding Test Iowa recently, but I don't know that you can define success by a particular audit. I think really uh, the machine and how well the machine is running is a better determinant of that. And I think one of the ways that I define success is doing the right thing, which is a lot harder to quantify. But at the end of the day, that comes down to having people sitting at the table who think differently from each other, uh, but who come there with the same purpose, which is to serve the public, and who are interested in doing that in a moral and ethical way rather than an ideological way. So to me, a big success was setting up my team uh, to do that from the start. Out of the three senior positions in the office, we've got a Democrat, an Independent, and a Republican. Um, and that's important to me because I want everyone in the state of Iowa to feel represented and everyone in the state of Iowa to know that when we're sitting here making decisions, that people who think differently are being represented and that what we look at and how we look at it 
is being determined by that group of people uh, rather than having it be done in a political manner. Right, and you would think that the, the idea of truth would be a nonpartisan issue. And that's fantastic that you've got that level of representation and, and especially such an important role as uh, dealing with so many audits and transparency and everything yeah. within that realm. No, that's exactly right. I mean, at the end of the day, we are supposed to have, we should have truth leading our politics rather than ideolo ideology leading it. George Washington in his farewell address said one of the most important things for us to do is watch out for partisanship. And yet here we are in a place where so many people are so divided they can't possibly conceive that a good idea or a good person could exist on the other side, which is terrible. We have to get back to an idea where we approach governance separately from politics and that we approach governance with the idea that we need to solve problems and do the right thing rather than simply refuse to have any wins on the other side or something like that. And that's important to approach. I know that you had recently joined a bipartisan group of state auditors to determine how states are responding to this whole COVID-19 pandemic and, and the, the chaos within it. Can you tell us more about the vision and goals of this endeavor as a whole? Absolutely. Um, I'm really excited about that because I think it it sort of epitomizes or should epitomize, uh, at least since we're just getting started with it, what this should be about, what I'm talking about. It's a bipartisan group. The leadership of it includes Democrats and Republicans. It's about evenly split between Democrats and Republicans. And it's a bunch of states um, that are all on their own going to be asking the same questions. So we're gonna look at uh, testing data. We're gonna look at treatment data and try to make sure that we're having the maximum amount of transparency and accountability and integrity in those things. And the reason we're doing that, uh, there's a few reasons why. One is, this is public health. There is no more important time to make sure the job is getting right than during a pandemic. We don't know if we're in the fourth quarter or the first quarter of this pandemic. And we need to be learning what we can learn as soon as we can learn it. Uh, because the sooner, sooner we learn things, the sooner we can put that knowledge into practice and apply it in order to uh, reduce both economic costs and health costs of the pandemic. Uh, so I'm excited about that. And the other piece of it is uh, that I'm excited about is it's kind of acknowledging that we have this laboratory of democracy and that you're going to see different approaches in different states. And so by having different states ask the same questions about data, about testing and about treatment, we're going to be able to learn from each other, from those states by comparing them, um, by seeing who's doing what and maybe figuring out what works better and what doesn't work as well. And within that, you had mentioned the, the situation of, of Test Iowa and then a couple other entities across the whole pandemic spectrum that you're looking into. Can you give some more examples about how your role in your office as a whole intersects with the field of public health? Yeah, absolutely. Public health is one of those areas where governance is incredibly important. The public has to be involved with what's going on. And yet at the same time, while you're having the public involved with what's going on, there's got to be uh, an entity advising them, helping them figure out what the right decisions are to make. And so uh, our tie-ins to public health during a pandemic are very important. But uh, the Department of Public Health is a regular client of ours. We audit them at least once a year. And we are always working with all of our clients, both you know, to some degree as a partner to try to show them better ways to do things from an outside perspective, but then also 
sometimes as a poke to say, you know, hey, you're, you're messing this up. Uh, that's not a good way to be doing this. So we're always just sort of trying to have that balance between wanting to be a partner to all of our state entities, but also at the same time, making sure that we're uh, conducting independent oversight of them and their decision making. And within the practice of that, I imagine a very large piece of it is communication. And especially when you're dealing with difficult subjects like finances and public health implications, what is your strategy as an office and then as an individual when you're coming across these difficult, tenuous situations at times as a communicator? I always try to go for transparency and I always want to treat my listener as someone who is capable of understanding anything as long as it's explained. There are way too many people in the public sector where you're supposed to be representing the people who treat the people like something to be divided, uh, something to be talked down to as, as though they couldn't understand something. I think that's terrible. Anyone who's in a position like ours, whether it's the auditor's role or anyone else's, has a duty to just talk about things in a way that helps people understand them, not because it's hard for them to understand them, not because it's necessarily too complex or they necessarily aren't smart enough. It's because they're experts in what they do. If I, if I was gonna go talk to uh, an auto mechanic, they would have to break it down for me. Um, I, can, I can fix and I can run a chainsaw a little bit, but when I was uh, talking to a guy who was actually uh, working on my chainsaw the other week, I was asking a lot of questions and he was doing a good job of explaining to me as he was taking the carburetor apart. Because uh, that is beyond my expertise, right? We live in a world where a lot of us are experts in different areas and so if we want to help people understand them, we just sort of have to explain them in a way that recognizes that that person we're talking to is both intelligent and capable of understanding it, and yet also probably not coming at it with the same level of experience that uh, the speaker might. So I, I try to be direct with people, I try to be forthright with people, and I also always wanna be transparent and try to be um, fully inclusive with people. You know, you can't, you can't always name um, every detail all the time, but the big ones are important. And I think those big ones, when you, when you speak to people that way, they, it tends to build trust. And I think trust at the end of the day is incredibly important to making our, sure our system of governance works. And that's an excellent point to, to highlight within there is the idea of, of trust and building that up for folks. Because especially in these tenuous times, you do really want to be emphasizing this cornerstone of the foundation, right? It's, a, it's an idea of respect and making sure that the point is communicated across. And within this, this kind of nutshell of things, what do you think is the most pressing issue in your work at this time that folks should be aware of or are considerate of? Well, I mean, there's no doubt that everything that we are working on right now that we are most concerned about is pandemic related. If you think about it, there's an, an easy argument to be made to say that given the incredible increase in government activity, one of the most increased workloads is going to fall on oversight entities. Because not only do we need to be looking at the Department of Public Health and how they're doing their job and making sure that there's oversight there, but also we're seeing a lot of relief funds being spent, billions of dollars. And it's our job too to be looking at those financial transactions, making sure that that money is being spent responsibly and that it's being taken good care of. So really every aspect of the pandemic at the end of the day, or at least the, most of them, uh, fall under our purview and it's certainly uh, all very pressing.
And especially we were talking about the beginning, the whole recent derecho disaster that swept through Iowa. Are there prominent areas of concern when we're talking about disaster relief funds and oversight within this that the Office of the State Auditor is typically involved in, especially when it comes to disaster relief efforts and, and the bevy of activity going on right now? This is probably the biggest natural disaster that Iowa has seen in quite some time. And so the use of those disaster funds, where they go, what they're going there for, and why they're going there are all important questions that at some point or another are going to need to get answered. And so the, the role that our office will have in that is about the same that it might have in any other natural disaster. One of the things that I think is important for people to remember in that is that they can be involved in this too, that anybody can be helpful. You and I were out there with chainsaws. There were a lot of people out there who maybe didn't know how to chainsaw who were hauling the brush away that we were cutting. There were other people out there who maybe couldn't haul brush away or didn't want to, but they were providing us, I think, uh, Sunday night was a dinner of pork sandwiches and, and, uh, and uh, corn. Saturday night, I'm trying to think of what I was able to get for dinner on Saturday night. Now as I'm thinking about it, I think, actually, I didn't eat anything on Saturday night for dinner. But there was a lunch on Sunday that we got too. And, and the, the point of the matter is, Everybody can be involved here. You know, we can't, our, our world is very big and there is a great deal of work to be done. So it's not enough to say that government is going to do everything. It's not, and it shouldn't. Mm -hmm. But it's also not enough to say that there's no role for government, government and that we don't all have a shared interest in making sure that issues are addressed. But at the end of the day, we can't just sit back and assume and, and expect government to do everything, nor should we. It's important for us. It's important uh, for our, for our virtues, for our morals, for our ethics, for us to get up and get off of our couches and go help people who are in need, especially after a disaster like this. What are some of the biggest ways that you think that local Iowans and then others abroad too who are hearing about this can help our community to recover from this situation beyond just you know pressing for governmental assistance? I, you know, showing up on the ground, uh, the number of people who were really happy to see us there it just makes you feel good because you have made them feel good. Um, the relief on their face of seeing a total stranger show up and start clearing uh, the way to their garage, the kindness that they appreciate when they offer to pay you or, or give you gas for the chainsaw and you tell them that's not why I'm here. These people are in the middle of an incredibly difficult time in their lives. A lot of them have seen their cars crushed their houses destroyed, they've lost electricity. Simply being present to remind them that other people care about them and that we all um, want to see them do well or do better and recover, I think actually psychologically for them can really be a good boost. And if you can't be there in person, then you can support the people who are. You know, United Way of East Central Iowa is very busy there. There's other nonprofits in the Cedar Rapids area that are busy. And there's small towns all around Iowa that need help as well. And you can always, if nothing else, um, if you hear about a town that's been hit, pull up their website and give a call uh, to whatever phone numbers you might find for the mayor or the city council and just say, hey, I want to help. I'm happy to contribute funds. Just, you know, please call me back and let me know where to send stuff. This storm has had such massive destruction that it has been hard for local entities to recover and to even have that level of organization where they can point people in the right way, but they are getting there. 
And whether that relief comes from someone next door or uh, maybe someone in another country, they're still happy to have it. And the sooner the better. It was, it was completely overwhelming driving into Cedar Rapids, you know, on that past Saturday and Sunday and, and seeing what exactly is going on there and how many folks do need our assistance. And so I really do want to commend you and others who have been uh, boots on the ground in this situation, but also our, you know, our photojournalists and our, you know, newspaper reporters and everyone in that side of things. They've been really fantastic at shining light on something that really deserves national attention and national assistance. And so I do want to thank you for helping out our community in Cedar Rapids and abroad too, because it's not just those cities, but there's also, like you said, smaller cities that do need our assistance, our attention, and, you know, that positive psychology of seeing, you know, faces there who are ready to help. And one thing I, I do want to touch on, you know, before we go here is, you know, you've, you've had this fantastic career so far, and we're excited to see where it continues on for you. But along the way, one of the questions we always ask folks is, what's one thing that you thought you knew, but were later wrong about? across the span of your career or across the span of your life? Sure. I, you know, I think that's a great question to ask because <laughs> in my new, uh, I guess you'd say line of work, uh, if that's what you call it, in an elected office, when you find people who can't answer that, it's either because they're not being honest with you or they don't reflect enough on their own actions or they, or they aren't concerned enough with the truth. Uh, certainly, I've made a lot of mistakes. I hear about a lot of them, um, of course, uh, from my family uh, on a daily basis, whether it's my wife or our kids. Mm -hmm. But one of the things uh, in my professional career um, that I thought I knew that I ended up being wrong about was a case related to the Iowa Film Office. And I want to talk about it, and I always talk about it, because, because it emphasizes, I think, that the pursuit of truth really should be, at the end of the day, what pushes our decision making. We had a guy who was a filmmaker from California who came out here and made a movie in Iowa whose, whose records looked, to be frank, very fraudulent. Uh, nothing went where it was going to go, where it said it was going to go. It seemed that there were costs that just didn't seem to exist. And when we called him up and said, hey, can you explain this to us? You know, we're, we're looking at this. Uh, this is the attorney general's office, and we have a lot of unanswered questions. He had a very curt and short reply. I mean, I, I was at the point, um, and I was, you know, this is, a, this is an issue that I addressed with my superiors, but at the end of the day, I was the one making the decisions on this case. I was at the point where I said, look, this is fraud, and we can prove it in court. I feel confident in this case, and so we indicted him. Um, after we indicted him, he did something incredibly unusual. Without an attorney by his side, he came to Iowa from California, sat down with me for two or three days uh, to walk me through stuff, brought a lot of additional documentation. And then I spent another two or three days walking through everything that he had brought me, verifying it with third parties. And at the end of that whole week that I spent full time working on that one case, I became convinced that I was wrong. Now, being convinced that you are wrong is going to happen to all of us if we're paying attention. But the other thing that we have to be doing in addition to paying attention is, is, is being honest and trying to pursue the truth and not trying to simply protect ourselves or protect our ego 
or, or protect some image of the idea that there's anyone out there that gets it right 100% of the time. And when I reach that point where I realize that this individual was certainly nobody's idea of a good bookkeeper, um, was in fact very sloppy, and, you know, may have been fast and loose on a couple of things, but not in a criminal sense, I, I dropped the charges. A lot of prosecutors in that position will just basically force somebody to plead to a lesser charge, to save face on their end, to say, haha, you pled guilty. And it just didn't seem like the right thing to do in that case. The right thing to do seemed to be to simply drop the charges. And so that's what I did. I don't know that I could have done anything differently in there. He had the documentation that we needed in order to essentially exonerate him. I think the decision that we made at the time we made it to charge him with the information we had was a fair decision. But at the end of the day, when you get that new information, you've got to be willing to actually incorporate it into your assessment and change what you're doing based on the fuller truth that you now see. That's how science works in general too, that the art of it is, you know, once I get new data, then I can make my different decision and I have to be willing and flexible and humble to put aside my ego, to put aside my personal views, which can be incredibly hard to do. I really want to thank you for that wonderful insight, Rob, and, and especially too for coming on today and chatting with us. You know, it's been an excellent opportunity to, to know you better and then also to, you know, hear more about your work and what your office is doing. So I want to thank you for your time today and for coming on the show and for talking with us further. Yeah, Steve, uh, agreed. Uh, fun to get to know you a little bit better, too, um, and, and happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Thanks for tuning into our episode this week. You can find us on Facebook at the University of Iowa College of Public Health. We're on iTunes and Spotify as well. Thank you to our guest, Rob Sand. This episode of From the Front Row was hosted, written, and produced by Steve Sanye. You can reach our team at cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. Thanks for tuning in. Feel free to share this episode with your colleagues and stay safe out there.